Wonderful. And again, thank you so much for being with us on this Wednesday night. How many of you brought your Bible with you? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building tonight? I want to ask you to join me, if you will, way over uh, toward the end of our Bible tonight. We're in the book of the Revelation, chapter number 20. Revelation chapter 20, as we're winding down now in our current series of sermons on Wednesday nights. And uh, so if you'll join me there in chapter 20, what a great chapter. And I want to point out some things about this great period in our Bible that we're going to talk about here this evening, Revelation chapter 20, page 1349, if you have an old Schofield Bible. I didn't mention this Sunday. I, I just blew right past it. First of all, uh, Miss Ruth McDowell was here Sunday night, and I totally missed that. And it's my fault. So, uh, but anyway, we're sure was glad to have her back with us on on Sunday night, and then also on our bus this Sunday. I forgot to mention this: we had 560 riders on the church bus this Sunday. And the best thing about all that is we had 16 of those people that got saved Sunday morning. So you add all that together, we're probably up to about 40 people that got saved on Sunday morning, and that is or Sunday all day Sunday, and so that is a good day. And so we praise the Lord for what He did for us. Let me uh, let me tell you this: I heard about this preacher that went to this church, and uh, he grabbed his Bible and he was all fixed up, and he walked in and he sat down on the front row, and as he sat there, terror hit him because he forgot his teeth and left them at home. So he said to the guy next to him, he said, man, I am in real trouble. The guy said, what's wrong? He said, I forgot my teeth and left them at home. The guy said, man, that's no problem. He happened to have a little a bag right there beside him, so he reached over there and grabbed a set of teeth out for, out of the bag and said, here, try these. And the guy stuck them in. And he said, man, these things are too big. He said, they're too loose. And he said, okay, so let me, let me see. Let's see what else I've got in here. And he reached around and he grabbed another set, pulled them out and put them in. He said, no, man, these are too tight. So this, this won't work. And he said, uh, I, I, I just can't wear these. The man said, hold on just a minute now. And he reached in, grabbed another set out, and the guy slapped him in. He said, man, these are perfect. These feel great. So he got up and preached his sermon, and, uh, you know, it was all good. So after the service over, he found the man out. He said, I just want to tell you, man, you helped me tonight, and uh, I'd like to know where your office is. I've been needing a good dentist. The man said, I'm not a dentist. He said, you're not. He said, no. He said, I'm an undertaker. I was going to tell that tomorrow night. I just wanted to see how y'all reacted, so maybe I'll run that one through. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'll think about that a little more. Revelation chapter 20. If you're there, would you say amen? Let's pray and we'll jump into this tonight. Father, bless your word. Thank you for letting us be here. All the good singing that we've enjoyed. And Lord, every time we come to church here, we have good singing, good music. And I want to thank you for that. Lord, uh, I don't feel like bawling and squalling when I get up after the music. It's a blessing. Thank you for good singers and good musicians and folks that are willing to use their, their talents to be a blessing to us. And now, Father, as we come to the preaching of the Word of God, I pray that it won't be anticlimactic. I pray the Word of God tonight will just touch our hearts and help us. And, Lord, if there's anybody here that's struggling or just has problems or needs in their life, I pray the Bible would speak to us tonight and just help us, please, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, for quite a while now in our Wednesday night services, we've been involved in a series of sermons that I've entitled Understanding the Bible in 20 C's. And what I've attempted to do during this entire sermon is just break the whole Bible down into only 20 words, all of which begin with the letter C. We started with the C of... 
Y'all are on over here when I point to y'all, okay? So we started with the sea of creation. And then after the sea of creation came the sea of... I mean, I done lost y'all, didn't I? The sea of corruption. And then after the sea of corruption come the sea of... Catastrophe. After the sea of catastrophe come the sea of... Confusion. After the sea of confusion comes the sea of... Choosing. After the sea of choosing comes the sea of... Confinement. After confinement. After camping. After conquering. After crowning. After captivity. After construction. After Christ. After the cross. After the comforter. After the church. After the coming. After the calamity. After the coronation. Just seeing if you're listening. All right, so we've come now through, and I think this is the 18, we've come through 18 of the C words to understanding the Bible. And every one of those C words represents a specific period of time in the Word of God. So we've attempted to break this whole thing down into 20 C words. Now, last time we were talking about the coronation, the time when Jesus comes back, not just in the clouds, but all the way back to the earth. And when he comes back to the earth, unlike when he comes in the clouds, we rise to meet him in the rapture. When he comes back to the earth, we come back with him. And that period of time, Jesus will finally be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the reason we call that section or period the period, the section of the coronation of Jesus Christ. Now that brings us now to the 19th C word to understand in our Bible. And it's found here in Revelation chapter number 20. And the 19th C word to understanding the Bible is the word condemnation. The word condemnation. You see, after the coronation period of our Bible, the very next thing that we find that happens in the Word of God is that it will be a time of great condemnation. Great condemnation. Now, I'm going to work my way there, but I just couldn't pass over. And I know the prayer sheet probably looks like we're going to be here all night long, but we're not. I promise you that. But I could not just go through this chapter without giving you an outline for the entire chapter. So let's start. Look at verse number 1. And the first thing, grab your prayer sheet there. The first thing that we find in Revelation chapter 20 is what I would call the reign, the reign of the Savior. The reign of the Savior over the earth. Now, watch this, but think back a couple of seas ago. I'm talking about before the coronation, we understand that the Bible speaks of a period of great calamity. Now, we call that period of time the tribulation period, and I guess maybe the best word that describes the tribulation period would be this word, pandemonium. Because that's what the tribulation period really is going to be. The word pandemonium means wild chaos and disorder. And let me just stop and say, those, that seven-year period of tribulation here on the earth is going to be a time of great pandemonium. You know, sometimes we use that word. We say, man, I'll tell you what, but it, I mean, pandemonium broke out. I mean, it just got wild and just com completely, uh, everybody just lost uh, order and it became a time of great confusion. Well, that's what the time of calamity is going to be about. It's going to be a time of pandemonium. And we've read that. Even nature itself 
is going to lose its order, and nature itself is, uh, is going to be out of a time of chaos because earthquakes are going to come and, and uh, the stars are going to leave their sockets and plunge to the earth. And we understand that uh, during this time of calamity that, uh, that, that, that demon monstrosities are going to come up out of the heart of the earth and walk the earth to and fro and waters will become blood and moon and sun will become like sackcloth. It's going to be a time of great pandemonium during that, that seven-year period of calamity. But after all that's over, and after the coronation, the pandemonium is going to turn to a millennium. That's right. Because as chapter 20 commences now, we have a time of millennium upon this earth. Now, let me stop and say this. The word millennium is not found in the Bible. But just because it's not found in the Bible don't mean it's not a doctrine of the Bible. By the way, did you know the word Trinity is not found in the Bible? Hey, did you know the word Bible is not found in the Bible? No, sir. But what do we call this book? Well, we call it the Bible. What do we call the Trinity? What do we call God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost? What do we call that? Well, we call them a Trinity. And so just because the word, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but how many of you all thank God for the rapture? I like what these two uh, elderly ladies were talking about one time. They didn't get the full meaning of it. One lady looked over to the other and said, Man, I can't wait till the rupture of the church. But uh, it's not a rupture, but it's going to be a rapture someday when the Lord comes. And I thank God, but the word rapture is not found in the Bible. But we believe in the rapture. So just because the word millennium is not found in the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't teach that there's going to be a millennium, a millennial reign of Christ upon this earth. Now, the word millennium is a Latin word. It comes from two words, mil, meaning thousand, annum, mean, being years. And when you put the two together, mil annum, or in our English way of saying it, millennium is a thousand-year reign of Christ here upon the earth. Now, if you doubt that, go with me through chapter 20, just talking about this. Look at verse 2. The Bible said that Satan was bound how long? Well, he was bound what? A thousand years. Look at verse 3. Toward the end of the verse there, it says, till the thousand years uh, should, be, uh, uh, should be fulfilled. Look at verse 4. The Bible said at the end of verse number 4 there, it talks about they reigned with Christ. How long? A thousand years. Look again at verse 5. The Bible talks about the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. All throughout this chapter, verse 7, when the thousand years are expired. So we understand that when Jesus comes back and he's crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, what he's going to do is set up his kingdom here upon this earth and that kingdom is going to last for a thousand glorious years upon this earth. Let me tell you this, not only is the king coming, but the kingdom is coming as well. You know, Jesus even taught us to pray in that model prayer, uh, to pray something like, Thy kingdom come. Boy, I'm waiting on the kingdom, man. And when the king comes, the kingdom is going to come as well. Now, let me just tell you something. Things are going to be dramatically and drastically different then than they are now. Why, the Bible said in that thousand-year reign of Christ, the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters now cover the sea. That's going to be a good time for him. Yeah. The Bible said that, that uh, the ferociousness of the animals 
are going to cease. During the millennial reign of Christ, you'll be able to walk through a field of unmown grass and not have to fear stepping on a copperhead. Because if you do, just pick him up and fish with him. He ain't going to bite you. I mean, man, the ferociousness. I mean, the Bible said that the lamb and the lion shall lay down. Now, what happened today if you put a lamb and a lion in a pen? I'll tell you what will happen. Lamb is going to say, Woo, boy, lamb chops. Mm-hmm. And he's going to eat that lamb, isn't he? You can't put them in a pen today. You know why? Because there's a curse upon this earth. And that curse affects not only the, the earth, but it affects mankind. It's going to affect the animal kingdom. But all of that, when Christ comes again and he sets up his reign here upon the earth, it is going to be a great, great time of, uh, of, uh, of his presence here upon the earth. That's right. So we understand there's going to be the reign of the Savior over the earth. How long? A thousand years. What do we call that? The millennial reign of Christ. Now, we are pre-millennialist. Now, let me just say, pre-millennialist, what does pre, pre-millennial what? A pre-millennialist. That means we believe that Jesus is coming before the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. By the way, you can't have a kingdom if you don't have a king. And the king's got to come to set up his kingdom, so we are pre-millennialists. We're not all-millennialists. We're not post-millennialists. I'm so anti-post-millennialism that I don't even eat post-toasties cereal anymore. So we are pre-before. We are pre-tribulationists. We believe Jesus has come. You say, I didn't know I was all that. Well, I'm telling you that's what you are. You say, I don't know that. Well, you are right now anyway. So there we have it. The reign of Christ, the reign of the Savior over the earth. Number two. This chapter not only teaches the reign of the Savior over the earth, but this chapter also teaches, and I love this, the removal of Satan from the earth. Has he been bothering you lately? If not him, maybe some of his people. Now, I'm not talking about your mother-in-law. I know what you're thinking right there. But, uh, yeah, look at verse... The first thing that happens to begin this process of the millennial reign of Christ is an angel is going to come down from heaven having the key, verse 1, of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He's going to lay hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Verse 3, he's going to cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a little season. For, for this thousand-year reign of Christ, Satan is going to be removed from the earth. Boy, that'll be a good day. Amen. I mean, you stop thinking about that. Jesus is going to rule and reign, and Satan is going to be removed from the earth. I look forward to that hour when Satan is incarcerated and Satan is incapacitated. The Bible said he's going to be in this bottomless pit, according to verse 3, shut up, sealed up for a thousand glorious years. But then look at that at verse 3, that last phrase there. After that, he must be loosed for a little season. Now, I know what you're thinking. Probably some of you think, well, why are they going to let him out again? Well, let me ask you a question. You tell me why they let him out the first time, and I'll tell you why they let him out the second time. Yeah, the Bible said after this thousand-year reign of Christ, the devil is going to be loosed for a little season. Boy, that's another message entirely. 
But don't you worry about it. You say, the Bible says he's going to go forth according to verse number 4, and he's going to start deceiving people again, verse 3 and verse number 4. But now don't you worry about that because we got, during this millennial reign, man, we're going to receive the body of Christ, uh, the, a glorified body with the mind of Christ. Ain't no way it's going to deceive us. You're going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Amen. You say, where's that at in the Bible? Well, I ain't going to show you tonight. Just take my word for it. It's in there. All right? So we, we have the reign of the Savior over the earth, the removal of Satan from the earth. And then look again in this chapter. We have the resurrection of saints on the earth. The resurrection of saints on the earth. Now, in chapter 19, we saw the saints of God returning with Jesus to the earth. You say, preacher, what are we going to be doing during this thousand years as God's people? as the bride of Christ. Look at verse 4. The Bible said that we are going to live and reign with Christ a thousand years. So in other words, the Lord is going to sit in Jerusalem and He's going to reign over the whole earth, but He's going to use us, saints now, to help Him to reign over the whole earth. You and I will see to it that the laws of God and the Word of God and the will of God will be carried out in the earth. And the more faithful that we are now, Scripture seems to indicate the greater responsibility that we're going to have in the millennial reign of Christ. The more faithful you are, that's why I, pre that's why I say, man, show up at church, because the more faithful you are now to Jesus, the more responsibility you're going to have in the millennial reign of Christ. Why, some people are going to reign over ten cities. Some people over five cities. Some people over one city. I don't care. Whatever. But let's be faithful now. God will reward us then. We'll reign with Christ. And then the Bible talks about there in verse number 5, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the tribulation saints, those that were killed during the time of the tribulation period are going to be resurrected then. And we're going to celebrate the eternities of eternities with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we got it now. The reign of the Savior over the earth. The removal of Satan off the earth. The resurrection of saints on the earth. But now watch this. And here's what I'm preaching about tonight. We got this. The rejection of sinners off the earth. Now, I want you to come with me to verse number, verse number 11. Now let's talk about this time, this period of condemnation. You see, the Bible said that there's going to come a time of great judgment upon the earth. Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose faith the earth, face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their... I'm so glad we're dealing with this right after our program. Isn't that amazing? Look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Salvation is according to grace. Judgment is according to works. Salvation is according to grace. Say that with me. Salvation is according to grace. Judgment is according to works. All right? Let's continue. Look at verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
Now, I want you to go back to verse 11. I have five things at 750, quick things, to say about this time, this period of condemnation. Now, what we have here in verse number 11 is what is known in Scripture as the great white throne judgment. Now, let me tell you something. There's a lot of confusion about this because you listen to the radio and you hear people singing about how they're going to sing and praise around the great, the great white throne. Can I tell you something? There ain't going to be too much singing at the great white throne. Going to be a whole lot of sobbing and a whole lot of sighing, but not a whole lot of singing. And there's not going to be any joy around the great white throne. So, I mean, when you hear those gospel songs like that, you kind of get the idea, man, this is going to be a jubilant time. But it's not a time of jubilation. It's a time of condemnation. It is the great white throne. Now, let me just stop and say that saved people are not going to be judged at the great white throne. Now, the other night, I want to straighten this out, but in our program, and I thank God for the program, but... It, 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 and it, it gives you a great visual picture of how things are going to be, but it also kind of tends you to lead, leads you to have a tendency to believe that there's just going to be one big old time of judgment, and some people are going to be going up yonder, and the other crowd's going to be turned off back yonder. Some people's going to heaven, and some people's going to hell, but that is not the teaching of the Word of God. There's going to be a judgment for saved people, there's going to be a judgment of lost people. Now, the judgment for saved people is called the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Hey, just because we're saved don't mean that we get away from judgment. Now, thank God we don't have to fear judgment even though we're going to face judgment. You know why? Because we've been saved by the grace of God. And the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine whether we get to go to heaven or not. It determines our ability, our, the extent of our re rewards or either the lack thereof. But we're going to get to go to heaven. The Bible said some are going to be saved, yet so as by fire, the Bible said. What's that mean? In our Forsyth County terminology, some people are going to get in by the skin of their teeth. But if you've been saved, guess what? You're going to heaven. If you've been saved. Now, I'm going to tell you this. You're sure going to wish you lived for God while you're down here when we hit the judgment seat. But now listen to this. As, as a child of God, as a child of God, as, as a sinner, the judgment is passed. When I got saved by the grace of God, God rolled. God took all of my sins and poured them on Jesus. Let me illustrate it like this. Let's just suppose this is me. And that's all my sins. There I was struggling under the weight, the burden of those sins, carrying that thing around. Isn't it amazing how the devil convinces you you're having such a great time carrying such a heavy load? It's amazing. He's a liar and the father of all lies. He's, he blinds people. He, he's a blinder of men's minds, the Bible said. And he tries to convince. Boy, you sure are having a good time, ain't you? It's like when that guy took off in that helicopter with me and that thing Saturday. And when we lifted off, and I estimated the wind was blowing 513 miles an hour when we took off. And that thing got up, and I mean, it was fishtailing. And we got up, and I was hanging on to that. He done took the doors off that thing. I was hanging on for dear, dear life. Some of y'all said you see my white knuckles from 5,000 feet from the ground. I was scared to death. He pulled off, man, we was flying that thing, was fishtailing everywhere. I was hanging on for dear life. He said, we're having a good time, ain't we? I said, yeah. 
scared me to death. To him, that's fun. To me, that ain't fun. A whole lot more fun on the ground. There I am with all that weight of sin. But then come the glad day that I got saved. Now, my date was March the 24th, 1979. When I got saved, God put all my sins on Jesus. How many do I have to pay for now? Jesus bore them all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washes white as snow. None to pay for it. Jesus paid them all. So as a, gen as a sinner, man, the judgment's past. As a, as a son, the judgment's present. You see, right now, God, God judges me right now, and I get chastised every once in a while. Every once in a while, my foot, about every day. But God's dealing with me. You know why? Because God's wanting me as his son to be more like his son, Jesus. So God has to get after me. Does he ever get after y'all? You see, as a sinner, it's past. As a son, it's present. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. But as a, as a servant and a, and, a, and a steward, the judgment's promised. I'm going to have to face God someday. But not here. Not the great white throne. This is a judgment for lost people. This is where all the lost are going to be judged. Now, I want you to look in our text. Notice this phrase, great white throne. Now, put this down. Great because of its power. White because of its purity. Throne because of its purpose. Great because of its power. White because of its purity and thrown because of its purpose. It is a time when all lost men and women and boys and girls are going to stand before God and be condemned. That's what this whole thing's about. Now put these five words down and we'll go. First of all, put this down, the word appearance. The word appearance. Now look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. I mean the whole appearance of this is one of terror and horror. Why, the Bible said when they look upon the face of him, that his face is going to be so stern that the heavens and the earth are going to just flee away from it. Flee away from it. Now, there's not going to be one general judgment, but this is the judgment of all lost people. And the Bible said the appearance of it all, when they look upon the face of the one who sits upon the throne, the Son of God Himself, the Bible said it's going to be such a look that men are going to tremble. Let me, tell, let me show you the difference. Look over in chapter 22. Look at this verse right here, chapter 22 and verse number 4. When you and I see His face, what a great comfort. Look at verse 24. And they shall see his face. Boy, aren't you glad? Aren't you looking forward to the day when you see the face? Amen. What a time of comfort. But it's not like that at this case because it's not a time of comfort. It's a time of fear. When they see, let me call it this, when they see the cuts of Calvary upon his face, when they see the bruising, the battering of his face, 
The Bible doesn't speak about the scars of Jesus. The Bible speaks about the wounds, present tense. When they see him and the look that he has upon his face, and they realize they're guilty of doing that to him, it's going to be a time of great terror and fear. The, the word appearance. Notice, secondly, the word audience. Appearance and then the word audience. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. What's that mean, small and great? It means from the biggest to the littlest. It means from, from the first to the last. From wicked Cain right up to present day. All will stand before God. The rich and the poor. The black and the white. The educated and the illiterate. Every person that's ever rejected Jesus will be there at the judgment of the great white throne. Maybe I could say it like this. The arrogant, the affluent, the irreverent, the violent, the deviant, the defiant, the benevolent, but greatest of all, the negligent will stand before God. They'll be there in that great audience now, I don't think, I know we're not going to be judged there, but I think we're probably going to have to watch this. I'll say more about that on Sunday night. But I think we're probably going to have to watch it. And I think i got Scripture to back it up. It's going to be a fearful time. Look over in chapter 21, verse 8. Furthermore, look at this crowd that's going to be there. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers. By the way, look that word sorcerer up. It's where we get our, it's the Greek word pharmakia. We get our English word pharmacy from that. You know what that word says? All drug abusers. The pot smokers. You know, we're living in a day, we have become so sophisticated in America, we think we can legalize marijuana and get away with that. Friend, you can't. I'm going to preach a message on marijuana before long. I am. I'm just going to wear it out one Sunday morning. Yes, sir. So you go home and cut your grass. <laughs> Throw your pots away. Amen. Step over your crack so you won't break your mama's back. I'm telling you, man, that the Bible talks about it right here. The Bible said they're all going to be there before God. I got to thinking about this. You know, we put locks and security systems on our homes. You know why? Because there are certain people we want to keep out. I mean, we want to keep those deviant, sexual deviants out. We, we have police officers. We, uh, we lock down schools. You know why? There's people we don't want around us. But you stop and think about it. All that crowd that you don't want to want around you now, you'll be with forever in hell. All that crowd, the murderers, the abusers, all of that wicked and vile crowd. That crowd will be your crowd if you die without Jesus. The ungodly will be there. The unbelieving will be there. The unwilling will be there. That's the audience. So we have the appearance. We have the audience. Number three, we have the evidence. The evidence. Why, the Bible said when those dead, small and great, stand before God, according to verse 12, now the books are going to be open. Oh, my goodness. Now we're bragging out the books now. Now, we, in our program the other night, Brother Jamie was standing over here, and he had the book, and he kept looking in the book, and he said, your name is not in the book, or your name's in the book, or whatever. 
But the Bible tells us at the, at the, in the final analysis that the books are going to be open. Now, let me just stop and say this. God keeps accurate records. God keeps accurate records. And the books are going to be open. Listen to this. There's several of these books. There's the books of the Bible. They'll be there. There's the books of remembrance. They'll be there. There's the book of life. It'll be there. And those books are going to be open. The books of the Bible. These books condemn. These books condemn people. These books convict people. The Bible, the books of the Bible will be there. The books of remembrance. The Bible talks about that God is writing a book of remembrance. That's right. You know something? God's keeping an accurate record of everybody's life. And if you don't allow your sins to be put on Jesus, then you'll pay for every sin that you've ever committed. Every, watch this, every deed, every desire, every deliberation, every, every word will be judged in that day. I mean, you stop and think about that. The books are going to be open. Then can't you see people begin to argue? And Matthew even seems to indicate that in that day, some are going to say, but Lord, hold on just a minute. Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful things? And I see people, man, they're jerking out tithing receipts, and church membership forms, and man, they're dragging out Sunday school pens for faithful attendance to Sunday school. They're saying, but, 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 but Lord, just like we saw, but Lord, what about this? What about that? And a final search will be given in the book of life. Buddy, he that is born once will die twice. And he that is born twice will die once. That's right. That's what the Bible said. The evidence is going to be there. Boy, God keeps records. Look at this, Ecclesiastes 12, 14 verse. Here's what it said. For God shall bring every work into judgment. Every secret thing. Now, can I stop and say... That's scary. What you thought you did and nobody else saw, what, you, what we thought that we thought and nobody else knew, the Bible said God's going to bring every bit of that out. Isn't that going to be horrible? Well, I'm glad all that's been put on Jesus. Amen. Look at this verse right here. The Bible said, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Notice that. The secrets. Here's an old boy sitting in a room, 3 o'clock in the morning, a black room, nobody knows. He's got all kind of old filth up on the computer, and, man, he's working his way through all that garbage and that smut and that filth and that perversion, and he thinks nobody knows. The Bible said one day God is going to judge the secrets. I'm glad it's been put on Jesus. Look at this verse. The Bible said this. The Bible said, Neither is there any creatures not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him, uh, unto him, uh, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's where we come in. Now listen, that's where we come in now with the degrees of punishment in hell. I told you that salvation is according to grace. Judgment's according to works. And we come to understand that not all people are going to suffer alike in the lake of fire. But the greater the opportunity that man has to receive Christ, the greater his condemnation is going to be in the day of judgment. In other words, I, let me say it like this. I'd rather die swinging off a vine in the jungles of Africa 
than die and slip off into hell from the front row of Woodland Baptist Church. Because the one thing we're used to doing around here is hearing the gospel. One thing we're used to is inviting people to come to Jesus. I'd whole lot rather not have that opportunity and face God than to have that opportunity and face God after rejecting it. We believe. You say, I don't know if I do or not. Well, I'm telling you, you do. <laughs> you do believe that. And if you'll come up and see me after church, I'll tell you where it's at in the Bible. So there's the evidence. And then watch this. There's the sentence. Notice the Bible said in this chapter, Revelation chapter, 50, uh, chapter 20, and it starts talking there in verse number 14 that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Death and hell. Now wait a minute. What's the difference between hell and the lake of fire? Let me see if I can define it to you like this. Hell is like the county jail. The lake of fire is like the federal penitentiary. Hell is where people die and go to now. The lake of fire is where they will be destined to throughout all of eternity. Hell is in the heart of the earth. The lake of fire is somewhere out yonder. God is creating. Now, let me say that God didn't create that for you and for me, but he created it for the devil and his angels. We believe in the degrees of punishment, the sentence of this judgment. And I want to close with this. I want to talk about the consciousness of this judgment. Now, look at this, if you will. The Bible said, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. I'm not real sure that what I'm about to tell you, I, I mean, I, I don't have Scripture to back it up, but I, follow me for just a minute. We're done. So here's all these folks that are in hell. And finally, the Bible said, the judgment of the great white throne has come. And the Word of God tells us that death and hell are going to be delivered up. So all of hell, the inhabitants of hell, are going to stand there before God on the great day of judgment. Can't you just see them? I mean, for just that brief moment, they've been brought up out of the suffering and the misery and the agony of hell. And there they stand. Maybe somebody says, just a moment of reprieve. Oh, it feels so much better here than it does there. Only to find that they have been brought up out of hell only to be judged and to cast, be cast into the lake of fire. And let me just show you this, and I'm done. But it's forever. It's forever. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go back to chapter 19. We'll wrap this up. Look in chapter 19. Now, we're 1,000 years before what we're talking about tonight. So between chapter 19 and verse 20 and chapter 20 and verse 15... We're, we're a thousand years of difference here. Now look at verse 20. At the end of the battle of Armageddon, the Bible said, The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that walked miracles before him, which had deceived them and received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's pretty self-explanatory. One thousand years later, look at chapter 20 now, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now read this with me. Where the beast and the false prophet, what, are. A thousand years later, they're still there. Can I say this? The lake of fire is forever and forever and forever. There'll be no more reprieve. It'll be just one long 
eternal night of eternal death. You see, when God saves you, He gives you the gift of eternal life. But if you die without Jesus, the gift you're going to receive is called the gift of eternal death. You stop and think about that. I, I've been in a lot of homes, a lot of hospice homes and stuff of that nature, and watched people die. And I'm going to tell you something. Death's not pretty. Death is not pretty. I've s stood beside the bedside of many a people and watched them with, with the, the struggling to breathe and watched them with all of that, that that goes on right before. Death is ugly. Can you imagine dying forever and yet never being able to die? You reject Jesus, that'll be your end, friend. If I was you tonight, if I was here and I was unsaved, what I'd do is I'd say, Jesus... I want to let you have all of this, and I'll take all that you are. What, a, what an exchange. Give him all your sins. He gives us all his righteousness. Wonderful. Let's pray. Father.